0: You know, Easter is full of surprises. Life is full of surprises. And I had one of those this week, big time. Friday, after being down here for an early morning prayer time, I went home, and I hadn't had time to take a shower, so I jumped in the shower real quick. When I climbed out, my little three-year-old granddaughter was standing there in the bathroom, but I didn't know she was in there. So I came out of the shower, and I turned around, and there she's standing. And her eyes got this big, and she said, Bumpa! You're not wearing your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't wearing my glasses. But it was surpri- I didn't expect her to be in there. Life is full of surprises. It's going to probably take her till she's in her 50s to get over what she saw there. But anyway, <laughs> you're not wearing your glasses. That was great. You know, um, I can tell you when the ladies and the men went to the tomb that Sunday morning, After Jesus' crucifixion, they were given a great surprise. They expected to find a tomb with a body in it. They were bringing spices to anoint him. But when they got there, the tomb was empty. And there were some angels there saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. It's the best news that man has ever been given. And it's a word and a message that saved my life. Maybe it saved yours too. Or maybe today it'll be one that saves you because you believe it. All four gospel writers record the miraculous story of the resurrection. And here's the way Luke recorded it. He got a lot of his stuff from Peter, but he was alive at that time. And here's how he recorded it. As he wrote out this book for his friend Theophilus, he wanted him to know the whole story as it happened. This is what he wrote. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Father, this is the good news that saved my life, and I will always be grateful for the people who brought that message to me. And I want to thank you, God, that our greatest enemy has been vanquished, In Christ, death can't hurt us anymore. You've triumphed over it. That's what this Easter celebration is all about. That's why the choir's been singing, the band has been playing, and why we've been lifting up these songs of praise. So today, Lord, as we open this word, let us visit all over again that glorious Sunday morning in Jerusalem when everybody began to learn that Jesus has triumphed over death. And we'll thank you for all you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's been said that there are two things you can count on that are always certain, death and taxes. Well, I want you to know that there's a group of billionaires who are working to change that, not on the taxes side, but on the death side. They're actually using their millions and billions to try to triumph over death. And they've been trying all kinds of things, but so far, none has been successful. One of the ones leading that effort is Larry Ellison of Oracle. Forbes Magazine has estimated he's worth $43 billion, with a B. So each year, he spends approximately $40 of those dollars with the Ellison Medical Foundation, which is committed to finding, as they call it, the lifespan development processes. What that really is a long way to say is this. They're trying to find ways of why people die and how they can stop it. And Larry Ellison's investing $40 million a year trying to solve this thing. You might wonder what motivates a man to give that much money to something that is seemingly impossible. Well, this is what he said in an interview. Death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish? Just not be there. Well, you know, it's a very good question, because I used to wonder that same thing myself when I was a kid. I didn't understand death. When I was five years old, my grandpa died. One minute he was there, the next he was gone. I didn't know where he went. They just told me he wouldn't be coming back. When I was nine years old, our neighbor boy, Hoppy, five years old, tragically and suddenly died. One minute I'm playing with him, the next minute he's gone. They said he went away and that he wouldn't be coming back. When I was 10 or 11 years old, I was sitting in my living room alone when our neighbor Stevie came over. He walked in, sat down in a chair, grabbed his chest, had a heart attack, and died right in front of me. They told me that he was taken away, that one minute he was there, the next minute he was gone, and he wouldn't be coming back. So as a kid, I began to really fear death. All I knew about it was that it shows up unexpected. It takes people I love to a place I don't know where, and they're never coming back. And I was afraid of it because I knew that one day, any day, death would be coming for me. And it would take me somewhere where I didn't know where I was going. And wherever it was, I wouldn't be coming back. And I actually was traumatized as a kid. I remember laying on our couch in our living room at times being overcome with fear about being put in a box and being put in the ground forever. And I lived with that fear. It stayed with me until I was 25. And then there were some witnesses to the greatest news I've ever heard who came and told me that I didn't need to be afraid of death anymore, that someone who loved me had triumphed over it. That he had conquered sin death and the grave and he was alive and he was offering me hope and forgiveness and eternal life and they told me that man was jesus all four gospels detail jesus triumph over the grave his triumph over death is center stage the whole old testament pointed to his triumph and jesus told the crowds and the disciples and the people over and over and over again, that he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to triumph over death. That's why Luke wrote in verse 7, chapter 24, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. People, the triumph over death that Jesus accomplished is the most important message you will ever hear. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. I give to you as of first importance. Now, when I was 25 years old for the first time hearing it, I thought, why am I 25? and no one's told me before now. How is it that I could go to college, go to high school, have a job, live in America, I'm 25 years old, I've had 25 Easter's, and I have no clue what it is? How could I be 25 years old and not know that Easter had something to do with Jesus, but I didn't? How in the world could I be 25 and not have heard the best news that ever was given to man? Because nobody told me. Nobody told me. And so I lived with that fear of death. And I thank God for those men that reached across racial barriers and all kinds of other barriers because they cared more about me than all those other things, and they told me the good news, the gospel, the truth and the proof that Jesus has triumphed over death. But the question is, how did he do it? How did he triumph? He did it by his sacrifice for sin on the cross. And he did it by his glorious resurrection from the grave. Jesus triumphed over death by his sacrifice for sin on the cross. Here's how Luke put it in verse 6. When the angels spoke to the women, they told them, He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I don't know how old you were when you got your first traffic ticket. Uh, You remember your first one? Anybody here remember their first one? (laughs) Now, the rest of you either have bad memories or you're probably lying or you don't want to admit it because almost everybody's got a traffic ticket unless you are the really good people who drive right all the time. I was not one of those. I was 24 years old. Driving one night in my MGB convertible, 35 in a 25. Now, I didn't know it was a 25, but that doesn't matter. You see, that didn't stop this very nice police officer pulling me over and giving me a ticket. And I find out the ticket was an invitation to go to a traffic court, where I've met a very, another nice man who was a traffic judge who heard what I did. I told him I didn't know it was 25, and he told me it didn't matter, and he said, well, you still have to pay a fine, which I did. Now, when you think about it, what gives that police officer the right to pull me over. I'm an American. I'm free. I'm minding my own business. I'm not doing anything wrong that I'm aware of. Yet he pulls me over and he gives me a ticket. What gives that judge the right to sit there in judgment of me and tell me that I'm wrong and i got to go pay a fine? What gives him the right to do that? The law gives him the right to do that. The law gives him that right. He has their full authority because of the law. Do you know that sin has power and authority over us, too. Do you know that sin has the power not only to destroy our lives, which it does, but it has the power to actually steal our life. It has the power to take our life and replace it with death, which is exactly what it does. Now, what gives sin the power and authority to do that? The law does. The law of God. The law of God is good. But if you violate that law, you find out there is a serious consequence. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You see, the sting of death is sin. Death has a stinger. It's called sin. If you die with sin still in your life, death will sting you. It'll separate you from God. Now, remember, God is life. There is no life apart from God. It isn't found in the things you possess or the money you have or the awards that you've achieved. That isn't life. Life is found in relationship with God. If you don't have God, you don't have life, period. Sin is what separates us from God. And if we die with that sin still in our life, it'll sting us. The sting of death is sin. So, if you could die with no sin in your life, death couldn't sting you anymore. So, you see, that's why in order for Jesus to triumph over death, he had to first triumph over sin by paying the penalty and meeting the demands of God's law. Now, Satan doesn't want anybody to believe that the creation story is real which is why he's got so many counterfeits out there, the chief of which is evolution. Now, I was a bio major in college. I wasn't a Christian. I studied evolution. It didn't make sense then. I had all kinds of questions I couldn't answer. And though I wasn't a Christian, I came to the conclusion, it takes a lot of faith to believe this stuff. There's not a lot of evidence for it. That's because Satan's behind all of this. He doesn't want people to believe the creation story. But why? Because if you understand the creation story, you'll understand where sin came from, and you might understand how and why you need a Savior. Remember what God told Moses about that creation story in Genesis 2, verse 15? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And God made Adam and Eve, put them in this gorgeous garden, and He said, "Look, there's not a lot of rules here. You can eat all of this stuff, but love has to be tested. All love is tested. Marital love is tested by fidelity, or it will remain true?" God said, "The proof of your love for me will be you're not going to eat of this tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat of everyone else, but don't eat of this one. The day you eat of it, the day you decide that your way is better than my way, the day you decide you don't need me anymore, or you don't need to listen to me anymore." The day you rebel is the day you will die. Sin will enter the world, and that sin will separate you from me, and you will not have life. Our relationship will be over. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. You see, Eve ate that day. She got her husband to eat, and death entered the scene. Because sin entered the scene, and it spread to all of us. That's why when your kids ask you when they're little, why do people die? You can tell them they die because of sin. Sin is what brought death into the world. People die physically. They're dead spiritually when they're separated from God, and if they haven't dealt with that issue, they're going to die eternally, eternally separated from God. But you see, this is the good news of what Jesus has done. For you see, Jesus, who had no sin, went to the cross and took my sin with him. He took your sin with him, and he died with it there. He met the full demands of the law. He paid my fine. He met that penalty, and God's law was satisfied. This is why the apostle John wrote in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Apostle Paul later told the Colossian church, look, when you were dead in your sins, Christ triumphed over that by the cross. He took your sins and he took your indebtedness to the law and he nailed it to the cross. He humiliated the forces of authority that were holding us captive to sin. That's why I would have loved to have been there when Satan got the word, when he thought he had beat Jesus at the cross. He thought he'd won his greatest victory. I would have loved to have been there when he suddenly realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. Jesus has just triumphed over sin. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus met the full demands of God's law, and what he did that day on the cross was he grabbed death by the throat and he ripped the stinger out. Death is as harmless as a bee without a stinger if you're a Christian. Your body may die. It may be put in the ground or cremated, but death will never touch you because it can't. If you're a Christian, you have the living Christ living in you and you have eternal life. And we have become witnesses of these things. Luke said in verse 48 of chapter 24, you are witnesses of these things. I thank God for the people who reached into my life to share this good news that broke my fear of death. And now today, if you're here, and you haven't known that this kind of triumph has taken place, I want you to know that witness has been passed on to you You've now heard what Jesus has done. You don't have to fear death anymore. He has triumphed over death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But not only did he do it by triumphing over death by conquering sin at the cross, Jesus triumphed over death by his glorious resurrection from the grave. Luke said in verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. John Ortberg is a well-known author, pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church right here in the Bay Area. John Ortberg has a friend in Minnesota who's also in the ministry. His name is also John. But John, his friend, has a very unique ministry. He's the denominational exec, And part of his job is he travels in Minnesota to little villages that have no church, and he's there to help the people with weddings and to do funerals. Now, John, that lives in Minnesota, was telling John Hartberg, his friend, about a recent time when he was riding with the undertaker in the hearse out to one of these little communities to do a funeral for a family that had no church. When they were done with the funeral, they were driving back together in the hearse. And John said he got very, very tired, so the funeral director said, well, there's nobody back there. Why don't you lay down in the back of the hearse and take a nap? So John did that, and he fell fast asleep. Now, while they're driving along, the undertaker realizes I'm almost almost out of gas, so he pulls in to a gas station to gas up. Now, he said the gas station attendant came out to pump the gas. He was a little creeped out just by pumping gas in a hearse to begin with. So he starts pumping, and he looks in the window, and he sees a guy stretched out in the back of the hearse. And it's totally freaking him out. So he's pumping the gas like this. He just he couldn't even look in there. He's just hoping this thing will be over. Well, Orberg's friend John wakes up when he realizes the hearse isn't moving anymore. I wonder where we are. So he sits up in the back of the hearse, and he looks out the window, and he sees the gas station guy. So he taps on the window Anyways, John said, you have never seen anybody run. So he left everything, the pumps running. He just ran because you don't expect to see a dead guy sit up and wave. In fact, you don't expect to see a dead guy do anything except just lay there and be dead. Jesus reversed all of that. He said, you kill me, bury me in a tomb, and three days later, I'll reverse the curse. I'll conquer sin, death, and the grave, and I'll rise again. And I'll prove to you that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. And that's exactly what happened. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. People, Jesus told his disciples that the resurrection would be the proof of who he was. And when they saw that resurrection, it changed them. They were not the same people. Remember, the disciples and those who gathered thought the cross was the end. They thought their hope was over. Jesus, their Messiah, was dead. They had no hope. And so they gathered together in an upper room on that Sunday trying to figure out what do we do now? And what made matters worse, the women came back from the tomb, Luke's gospel said. They had seen the angels. Mary had seen Jesus himself, thinking it was the gardener. So they're running back to the tomb saying, we've seen the Lord. And they say, you ladies are nuts. That's a loose paraphrase. (laughs) He's dead. His body's not in the tomb. Well, I don't know where he is, but he ain't alive. So that night, they're gathered together in the upper room. They're trying to sort all this out. And Jesus appears in their midst. And he said, look at my hands. Luke 24, look at my hands. Look at my feet. I'm not a ghost. I have flesh just like you. Better, but I have it. By the way, you got anything to eat, I'll prove it to you. They gave him a fish and he ate it. And in Luke 24, Boy, were they ever. They were so transformed by what they saw in the living Christ that they would not be silenced now. They were not afraid of anything. They were out there telling everybody who would listen, and they paid a price for it. They were even willing to die rather than deny this truth because they knew it was real. Jesus had really died. Their sins were really forgiven, and he was really alive, and they were going to live forever. You see, the resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. If the resurrection isn't real, if it really didn't happen, then Christianity is a hoax, a terrible hoax. It's a lie. It's like every other worthless religion that's out there. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't raise him, but he didn't raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the apostles understood everything hung on this. If Jesus hasn't really been raised, then his death on the cross was meaningless. The Christian faith is a hoax, and people who believe it are lost. And they ought to be pitied for their sacrifice. But if he did rise from the dead, all of that changes. Now suddenly Christianity is the only reality. Now Jesus is the only way to God. Now he is the way, the truth, and the life. And now every other religion and approach to God is false.
1: That's what made 1
0: Corinthians 15, 20 such a powerful testimony. When Paul said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Look at this. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Adam all die. We inherited that sin nature, every one of us. We have all sinned and fall short of his glory. There's no exceptions. In Adam all die. But in Christ... All can be made alive. All of us are in Adam. That's why we have sin. But not all of us are in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, you were included in Christ when you believed, when you heard the truth and believed the gospel of your salvation, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul told them when you believed that, then you were included in Christ. But until that time, you weren't. And when you are included in Christ, you are made alive. The women who came to the tomb that day got a surprise. They expected to find a body that they were going to anoint with spices, but he wasn't there. And the angel said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Is what sets apart Christianity as true in every other religion and approach to God as false? Now, I say I'm a bit arrogant to you, but it isn't. If you've been around here a while on Easter, you've heard this before. It's a good review. And if you haven't heard this, you need to. Because basically, religion is a massive confusion. There's so many different religions, so many different versions. People either assume they all end up in the same place or they're all worthless. The fact of the matter is, Satan has created all of these religions because he knows religion can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save people. That's why Satan doesn't care if you have all the religion in the world as long as you don't have Christ. That's why he doesn't care if you even call yourself a Christian as long as you don't have Christ. The fact of the matter is that the the resurrection of Jesus cuts through all of that religious confusion like a knife And the fact is that all the religions of the world except four are just pure philosophy. They're invented by men, and they attach gods to go with those beliefs, and they invented systems and responses to make these religions, but they're pure philosophy. You and I could invent a better religion than billions of the world's people are now laboring under, and our invention, though better, would be still as worthless as the ones that are out there now. They're all just pure philosophy. Of the four that aren't, they're based on the life and teaching of their founder. There's only four. Abraham, the founder of Judaism. Gautama, the founder of Buddhism. Muhammad, the founder of Islam. And Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity. And here are the facts. Abraham died when he was 175 years old. He was buried next to his wife, Sarah, in a cave near Machpelah in in Israel. His body is still in the tomb. Gautama, the first Buddha, Buddha is a title. Gautama was the first. He died at age of 80. He was on his way into a pilgrimage into the Himalayan mountains on a search, he said, to find the truth. Isn't that ironic? Here's millions of people following this guy who still hasn't found the truth himself. Well, he knows it now because in that pilgrimage into the Himalayas, he died at 80 years old. They buried him in a village there called Kusanara. His body is still in the tomb. Muhammad died on June 8th, 632 A.D. at the age of 62. He was buried in a tomb at Medina in western Saudi Arabia, north of Mecca. He's still in the tomb today, and millions of people pilgrimage there to visit his gravesite. Jesus Christ died on or about April 6, 30 A.D., at the age of 33. He was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem, sealed with a stone, guarded by soldiers to keep the body in the grave, but all those efforts failed. His body isn't in there, and you know why? Because he isn't dead. Sin couldn't defeat him. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him because he's the resurrection and the life. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the grave for us. The tomb is empty. He's not in it because the tomb is for the dead. Jesus is alive. He's triumphed over death and he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to all of us who will believe and receive him. Someday, someday, if Jesus hasn't returned, my kids are gonna pack me up in a box and put me in the ground. But I'm gonna remind them constantly, you can put my body in the ground, but you ain't ever putting me in there. because I ain't never gonna be in there. Because the grave is for the place of the dead, and I can't ever be dead again. My body can die, but I never will. In fact, the instant death closes my physical eyes, I'll be more alive than they have ever known. And I'm gonna live with Jesus forever. That's the truth, that we celebrated Easter. You know, I was reading a piece, an interview by Larry King, you know, the Larry King Live, famous talk show, radio host, author. He was doing an interview with the New York Times, and Sean, his seventh wife, said how he was absolutely traumatized and paralyzed by the thought of dying. Now, Larry King, by his own admission, is emphatically non-religious. But he's really concerned about dying. So in the interview, he's 83 years old right now. King takes four human growth hormone pills every day, and he claims he's feeling great. But in the case of death, he said, I've arranged to have my body frozen and then thawed out And when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed him, I'll be healed by the so-called cryonics approach. Now, listen to what King said about that. King told this interview at the New York Times that people behind the cryonics thing are all nuts. That's a quote. But he said, at least I know that if I'm frozen, I'll die with a shred of hope. Other people have no hope. When I read that, I thought, how pathetic is that? Here's a guy looking for a solution to his greatest dilemma, death, and it's right in front of him, if he could only see it. In fact, he doesn't need cryonics and growth hormone pills and all these other things. The answer to his death problem took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on a cross to conquer sin and its penalty. When he was buried in a tomb and three days later rose again victorious. Somebody needs to get a word to Larry King. The best news that's ever happened, Larry, is this, that in Christ you don't have to fear death anymore. Jesus has triumphed over death. And you and I have been made witnesses for that reason, so that there are people all around us now who are just like Larry King, who are just like me. Maybe one of those people is you. You're still concerned about dying. You're still not sure what happens when that takes place. And you still haven't heard before today that there's an answer, a solution. Jesus has triumphed over death. Those who are in Christ are going to live forever. Death may grab your body, but it will never touch you. And the good news is that Jesus' triumph means triumph for you. And that's why we celebrate this good news every Easter. Father, I want to thank you today for the good news of this salvation and triumph in Jesus Christ. It's real. It's true. And those who believe in Jesus may die physically someday, but they're never going to know what it's like to die. Their body may die, but they never will. They'll never be in the grave. They'll never be cremated. The instant death closes their eyes, they'll be in heaven with you. That's our hope. That's the promise you've given. That's the joy. Of this good news and Lord you're still saving people who believe this because by grace we are saved through faith this is not of ourselves it is the gift of God you told us if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead we would be saved and that's why today while you're still praying I want to ask you do you know today that you're a sinner like the rest of us Do you know today and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Do you believe today that he rose from the grave victorious and he's offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life for you? Do you believe? Do you believe? If you do, then ask Jesus to save you, and he will. Ask him to come and live in your life, and he will. And he'll take that payment he made at the cross, and he'll apply it to your account, and your sin will be forgiven. He'll rip the stinger out of your death so death can't hurt you anymore. It'll be the means God brings you to himself. This salvation is by faith. You can't earn it, it's a gift. And like any gift, you must receive it in order to have it. So if you're here today and you know you're a sinner and you believe Jesus died for you and rose again, and you're ready to receive that gift, then ask him. In fact, you might pray something like this. In your heart to God, he'll hear you. Just say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that it's my sin that separates me from you. I believe you love me. And that's why you came to die for me. In my place. For my sin. On that cross. And when you died, I believe my full payment was made. And then you were buried in a tomb. But as you promised, I believe that three days later, you rose again victorious. And you're alive right now. So Lord Jesus, I ask you, please come and live in me. Wash away all of my sins and forgive me. I ask of you that I might be given the gift of life, that I might have the joy of sharing in your triumph.